Hi, you're listening to Kate and Catherine. And we're going to show you how to find your Prince Charming so that you can finally live happily ever after <laughs> forever and ever. No. No. <laughs> no. We are definitely not going to do that. We are sick of that story and it's a lie. It is a lie. You're listening to The New Truth, a modern woman's guide to extraordinary love. We are going to show you how the fairy tale love story stops you from experiencing the love you truly desire. Listen to hear how to break free from sacrifice and struggle in relationship. And learn the new truth about love in a way that you've never heard it before. We're so happy you're here. Keep listening. Hello, hello. Episode 173, tackling the hottest topic right now in relationships, how to become securely attached to have a healthy relationship with my bestie, Samantha Burns. And, you know, Kate, I was thinking about all the people we've had on the podcast and how many of them have been our friends. And so this morning when I woke up, I was just like, we have really fucking cool friends. Yes, <laughs> like <yeah>. we have <laughs> brilliant and talented and powerful friends. And I have known Sam since 2017 and we were in Insta Love also. Um, like you and I, Kate, we met at a conference. And then like the next thing I know, we're texting every day and connecting every day. And I was mostly excited to connect with another relationship coach. So Sam, so, so happy to have you here. I'm going to read your bio in a second, but I'm so happy to share you with our audience. Thank you. But also we met, so we met in real life at the conference, but we actually met prior. You messaged me on Facebook. And you're oh, like, I did do that. And we set up a call. I would love to connect with other like love coaches in the Boston area. And so we, I, you know, walked into a random Panera off the street to take the call. And then, you know, we started following each other ever since. And then when we met in real life, it like solidified, I think just the energy. I had so much fun that day, just like walking away being like, Oh, I just made like a best friend. <laughs> oh my God. I forgot that I did that, but yes, that sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> That's what I do. I was scared. I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is so established. Like she's asking me all these questions. I'm not sure, you know, what to say. And um, <laughs> oh know, my like, goodness. And, uh, you'll share, like, I come from a traditional therapy background, but I branched oh. off into coaching and I was like, oh, who's this, uh, this Catherine woman and what's she doing out there? And now I'm about to read your bio and fangirl all over you because that's how I feel about you every day too. So Samantha Burns is a licensed psychotherapist specializing in dating, relationship, and breakup coaching. She is the author of two books, Breaking Up and Bouncing Back, that's book one, and Done With Dating, book two. She helps couples increase relationship satisfaction and singles heal from heartbreak and date with intent to find their ideal match. She consults with dating apps such as Bumble and Match.com and has been featured in the media on sites such as the New York Times, Washington. Post, Cosmopolitan, Women's Health, Boston Globe, Huffington Post, Brides, and many more. She lives in the Boston area with her husband and her two adorable baby girls. <laughs> Although I guess they're not so baby anymore. Yeah, 20 months again, <laughs> like toddler. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. And I'm so excited to talk about attachment with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've listened to so many of your guys' podcasts in the 
in the past, usually when I'm in the shower in the like 10 quiet minutes that I have to myself. And I just um, love all the people you've interviewed. And, you know, one thing I take away always from your podcast is that ability for, you know, it really has nothing to do with the person that they're dating or breaking up with or, or falling in love with. It's really like, that empowered self and like the relationship with the self and it always kind of comes back to creating like the happiness and kind of that self-love um no matter what situation you're in and like stemming your own happiness from from your core so that resonates deeply and such a strong message for all the women out there listening thank you thank you thank you thank you so I actually realized since I know your story I want to talk about your story but I don't know this. So we talk, you know, we have the fantasy, right? Fairy tale is the premise of our podcast. Would you have said that you were someone who wanted that? Like, were you growing up thinking of, of in that way? And, and would you have called yourself a fantasy addict? So yes, I would. And in, in two ways, so I obviously grew up on all the fairy tales and, you know, believing like they're happily ever after right after you meet and all of these things. But I also had a really strong role model in my parents' marriage and relationship. So that's not necessarily like fantasy, but it was like two parents who still, you know, who were great communicators, who showed physical affection around their kids, who, um, you know, really created a strong, stable home life. And then, you know, now in their older age, they, you know, my dad still rubs my mom's feet as they fall asleep on the couch watching, you know, a TV show together. And so... I had that example and whether good or bad, I I grew up believing that when you really love someone, you should make it work. Um, And in some ways that's a positive message, but in other ways, when you're not in the right relationship with the right person who's treating you the way you deserve and you're sticking it out and forcing it to work, um, not the best internalized message. So um, ultimately, you know, I, I grew up, yes, kind of believing in fantasy love, but also having a great role model, but not necessarily knowing how to apply that to my own life. And so then let's lead that to the breakup that changed your life and inspired all of your work. Yeah. I love your story. I feel like we could even go back to like my high school breakup. I realized I need to publicly talk about Peter the cheater, who was like a narcissist, which I think ultimately is like where all of my anxious attachment stemmed from. Mm. Um, but fast forward to my bigger like college and then post-grad relationship, like young adult relationship dated for, gosh, it was like four and a half years, lived together after college, supported each other through grad schools and then our first jobs. Um, someone that I really, you know, thought I was building a future with and wanted to marry and get engaged to. And we talked about engagement and, um, ultimately we were living in the Boston area. He got, he applied to graduate schools or PhD programs across the country. And I said to him after four years of dating, before he accepted where he was going, I said, I can't move again with you. I'd already I dropped out of a um, a doctoral program, moved to Massachusetts, like to make it work, to give it a chance, which I was like taking that risk, but long, I wasn't going to do long distance for five years. So I just said, you know, I'm not moving again in this relationship without a ring on my finger. And he knew that. And as we were getting closer to decision day where he had to choose his grad school, you know, all my friends were like, oh, he's going to like propose and you're going to get married and, you know, move to California And so on the day he had his deadline for his his decision, I'm sitting there. I was like, well, this isn't feeling very romantic right now. Um, And he just said, you know, I can't get engaged and I can't marry you. Like, I just don't feel like you're the one. And 
it just, he had so many chances over that relationship to like articulate what was off for him to tell me how he was feeling to express like truly his, like, you know, what ultimately was conflicting core values of ours. Um, And it just really caught me off guard at the time when I look back, my inner voice and my inner knowing was like, he's not the right fit. And like, you're forcing this. And, um, you know, someone should be like shouting from the rooftops. I love you. And I want to be with you forever. Of course, we're, you know, moving wherever I go to grad school, but that wasn't the message I was getting, but I was fighting so hard for it. And since we're talking about attachment styles, it was like, in my core, I was so afraid of rejection. I was so wanting to be chosen by this person. Um, and when I really break down the relationship and everything I know now and can admit to myself now, I, I couldn't admit then, but things like, I was like always worried of him cheating on me. I was always mm-hmm. feeling like I had to like conform and I call it be a chameleon. Like I had to change my colors to fit into his life and like love his activities and, you know, do things when we would get in arguments, like me being the anxious, I wanted to like fix it right then and there. I couldn't like eat or sleep or do anything until we resolved it. And then him being what I now know was like so so avoidant, you know, he would shut down and stonewall. um, And like, you know, eventually we would talk, but I'd have to like wait there anxiously in bed watching Grey's Anatomy until he was ready to talk. And um, back when I was in grad school, we did long distance for about a year. And like every day in the pit of my stomach, I was because I I didn't trust him, which was partially my own anxious attachment style that he activated with his own avoidant dynamics. But, you know, like if he didn't call to say goodnight the night before in my mind, I like didn't sleep all night because I was like Mm. first like worried about him. Like, did he make it home? Like, why didn't I hear from him? And then I'm like, is he, you know, out with some other girl gallivanting around you know, if he really loved me, like, why wouldn't he call me to say goodnight? And then I would be sick to my stomach the whole day being like, I'm just not going to ever talk to him again. And, you know, creating this drama. And then he would finally call like at noon and I'd be like shaking angry, like so sick to my stomach, angry. Like, why did it take him this whole morning? Wasn't he thinking about me? Like, doesn't he know I'm upset or, or sitting here and like, can't focus on my own schoolwork. I mean, just it wasn't healthy and I and I knew that it wasn't healthy but it also felt semi-similar to my high school relationship so I equated like well that's just how love feels when you're really passionate about them and you know um and I knew that wasn't necessarily the model I had at home but I loved them and I was going to make it work and I would dig my heels in I mean there's so many details and it's been honestly a long time since I've um thought about it though I did document a big part of that journey in my book breaking up and bouncing back um more from like the like neuro psychological perspective and also attachment. Um, so that all happened. We went through this big breakup. I was like shattered. I had to move. He moved across the country. I moved into a new apartment and I was really struggling at first. It was like for sure the worst, you know, time of my life where I just was really doubting my worth. I was feeling like, you know, what's wrong with me. It was all about like why I wasn't good enough for him. It was never, never in my mind, like, why wasn't he good enough for me? Or like, you know, how were my needs not being met? How was my love tank empty? How did he not speak my love languages? It was never that. It was always like me not being enough. Um, whether it was smart enough, like adventurous enough, outdoorsy enough, thin enough, like whatever it was, it was just never enough. Um, and then, so I, I definitely went through my stages of breakup grief and, and you know, the whole breakup process, which is like another, another conversation. Um, but I finally 
a few things kind of clicked into place. I moved to my new apartment. I had a great girlfriend that became a room, like a, a roommate that became a great girlfriend. We were going out. I started creating my new identity and like who I wanted to be. Life felt so much just like easier and more fun, honestly, like without him. And something just clicked in me where I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm the catch. Like I am, I have all these amazing qualities and I think my personality is great. And like it didn't, him rejecting me didn't have to do with my own like self-worth or me not being good enough. And then once I started operating from that mindset, I like jumped right into dating. I had the best time dating and meeting people. And like, it was a very positive experience for me. Um, and then like three months after moving out from my ex's house and him leaving, um, I went on a first date with my now husband. And um, that was a bit of a bumpy road. My ex came back. He tried to say like, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe we should have gotten engaged. And then, but still wasn't there like, you know, with like on his knee with a, you know, with a ring, like actually committing. Um, and I communicated all this to my husband at the time. Like I was pretty open about just like my emotional journey and where I was in healing. Um, and then like, once I truly got closure with my ex, then I opened myself to really to falling in love with my husband. And now we're married, what, eight years with two kids. So here we I have are. Like 15 questions. But Kate, do you have a question before I, <laughs> I like keep roll, keep us rolling here? What do you think? I was just thinking, well, I, I love that story. And I love, um, I was just thinking about the, the attachment styles that I know that there's people listening who know about them and people who don't. So I would love to hear you describe all of the attachment styles in like, and with examples, but what I was just thinking about for the anxious one, there's this, um, like my inner world is, is dictated by what other people are doing or not doing, how other people are behaving and what a fucking roller coaster. It's like, almost like you're being towed by a boat on a, on a, um, what are those things called? The raft, the, the, the like the tube, the tube yeah, tubing well. behind a boat and you're like being whipped around and you don't know when he's going to turn a corner and, and your whole emotional state is dictated by yes. them and everything's internalized. And yeah, just like, I can feel the pain. And I, I know, so, you know, the old paradigm and the fantasy fairy tale love story sets us up for this because so many shows is like, that's what they show. You know, Grey's Anatomy is a perfect example. The relationships are so fucking toxic, full of anxious, avoidant people. And it's like, that's what we're taught is romantic. It's the passion. It's the chaos. It's the, and so, yeah, just like I'm imagining so many women relating, but I'd love to hear just your definition of the different attachment um, styles. Well, let me comment on this because it's something I wanted to bring up anyway. And it was so perfect um, what you said. And I'll go into what an example, but just this point is, so when neuro researchers looked at uh, anxiously attached people, they found that literally parts of their brain in control of emotional regulation weren't firing. And so basically people with anxious attachment styles, when they're activated, they are unable to emotionally regulate their own, you know, central nervous systems and bodies the way that people who are securely attached or avoidant can. And so, right, one of the skills of healing and shifting your attachment style from anxious to secure is that ability to learn to self-regulate, to take control yes. of your own emotions, to not feel like this call from my boyfriend is going to make or break my day, 
um, and to be able to do things to distract yourself, to calm yourself, to um, stay more regulated. But it's like, I say that because your experience feeling so dysregulated, whether you were like me shaking angry or constantly hypervigilant that there was going to be cheating or infidelity, or just when you get into an argument, feeling like your whole world is like collapsing and getting nauseous and not able to eat or sleep. Like that is, that's, that's your brain. Like that is something legitimate and real happening. You're not crazy. You're not, you know, what, like there's insecurities and, and jealousy and all this stuff, but like your brain is not able to regulate in a way that other people's can. And like that can be healed and shifted and, and worked on, but just like, that's a very real experience. And it doesn't mean like that you're crazy or something's wrong with you. It means your, your attachment style is being activated and what can you do to calm down? Um, Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's so important. I kept, I, I was wanting to say to people like your attachment style is not your personality. It's not your identity. It's not a flaw, but being an adult, like being a grown up, if you're saying you want a healthy relationship, we, you have to be responsible for this, right? Yeah. Like it, you don't get to have a free pass now saying, oh, well, this is just my brain, you know? Right. So I, I'm going to act like this, like, no, it's, oh, this is my brain. And this is not supporting the kind of experience I want to have in love. So now tell us about all the different styles. Sure. So we'll start with like what we all want, which is the secure attachment style. So securely attached people, these tend to stem from early childhood, all of them, but then they can shift depending on your relationship and especially any kind of big traumatic experiences. So when you're securely attached in early childhood, your parents were very emotionally available. They were attuned to your needs. They were supportive. They gave you independence, but also were there to, um, you know, cheer for you when you were scared or, or needed guidance. And this caused you to grow into a very confident person where you kind of, you know, your worth, you uh, feel like you can articulate your emotions easily. You can be vulnerable. So for me, you know, vulnerability is all about being able to share your feelings with someone without knowing how they feel in return. So you're able to like, let them know you like them when you're early dating and not being sure if they like you back. And that if they don't like you back, um, it doesn't bruise your ego so much. You're able to say, oh, like, it's just not a good fit or okay, they they don't feel the same way versus saying something's wrong with me um, or I'm unlovable. So you're able to be in really, you know, communicative, healthy, positive relationships um, you're comfortable with closeness and intimacy and, um, and when you don't like someone or you, you know, feel like it's not a good fit, you're able to let them know what's wrong and you don't ghost or you don't disappear. You don't like stonewall them in any way. You just kind of let them know how you're feeling. Um, an anxious attachment stems from early childhood when your caregivers, they were inconsistent. So sometimes they would meet your needs. Sometimes maybe they weren't available, whether it was due to like their jobs or mental health issues or substance use, they just weren't always able to meet your needs. But you learned if you were like needy enough that they would eventually meet your needs. And maybe this turned into, oh, if I got really good grades or the opposite, I like acted out in class or I was like a super lacrosse player, whatever it might be, that if you thrived in some way or sought out negative attention, you would still get attention and love. Um, but you ultimately, sometimes with uh, anxious attachment, there's a lot of conditions of worth maybe placed on you. So you did feel like you had to behave in a proper way or achieve in some way. So that's a lot of um, externally, like external validation and drive for that love and acceptance and approval, uh, which then starts to create that inner framework of like, 
I'm not good enough, smart enough, talented enough, successful enough. Um, and in our adult romantic relationships, this can make us feel insecure in love. So we're constantly worried that someone might leave us. We don't feel good enough. We feel unlovable. We're worried that someone might cheat on us. We're worried that if we show them who we really are with our personality, that they're not going to like us and leave us. And um, people who are anxiously attached in, in romantic relationships, they struggle with conflict. Like I gave my own example where they just want to solve it and create closeness again like they hate that feeling of distance of conflict of you know not being sure where their partner stands so in early dating those initial few dates could cause you a lot of anxiety not being sure when are they going to call you are they going to text you back will they ghost you are they going to ask you out again like you're really ramped up and on edge in those dating experiences and then again uh, the, with the brain science, we know that people with a anxious attachment style just have a harder time emotionally regulated. They're very dependent on the person that is causing the pain to like fix it. They have a hard time, you know, getting regulated themselves. And then on the other side of the spectrum is the avoidantly attached. So typically with an avoidant attachment, your caregiver was very um, not present or neglectful whether again, like they had a busy demanding job and you were raised by nannies or they had mental health issues, substance use, something that kept them from being emotionally available and attuned to you. Um, so you grew up feeling very independent, feeling like you had to meet your own needs because people weren't going to support you, weren't actually there to take care of you. Um, you learned that people weren't really safe. And so when you develop this hyper-independence, um, in adulthood and romantic relationships, it's uncomfortable for people to get too close. You don't like when people feel needy. You like to, you know, be in charge of your own schedule and your plans and not kind of report to people. You struggle to what I call create that, uh, like the we factor. So I say you have a me factor or a we factor. We is when you turn towards your partner and you're a teammate, you make decisions together, you check in with them for their opinion or thoughts. The me factor is really someone who's avoidantly attached, who has a hard time kind of melting their life in with someone else's. Um, and there's someone who really struggles to articulate and identify their feelings. There's someone who, uh, when they're upset about something, they either avoid stonewall or blow up into like a ragey situation. There's someone when in early dating, they're the people who ghost. They're the people who you have like two or three great dates and then you don't hear from them for a week or they all of a sudden seem distant and unwilling to have more emotionally intimate conversations. There's a lot of like that. Um, so when you get an anxious and avoidant together, that is kind of the recipe for disaster and probably why these women here are listening to this because it really just activates these core wounds. So the anxious dating, the avoidant, the anxious is feeling like I'm unlovable. People won't stick around. They're not going to meet my needs. I'm too much. Um, and then, of course, they're dating someone who doesn't like when people are needy or who want a lot of attention or a lot of closeness. And so it just validates their fears like, yeah, I am too much. And then the avoidant when they're dating the anxious is like, oh, this person needs too much for me. And this is overwhelming and I can't I can't deal with this. And this is just how people are. And that cycle goes around and around. And then, you know, <laughs> the anxious leans in to create less distance. The avoidant leans away to create more space. And it's this constant familiar feeling of just the highs and the lows. Um, when you're dating secure, it's very unsexy. And this is, I think, like an important point I want to make. When you're dating secure, it feels um, safe, secure, reliable, dependable, um, 
consistent. So none of those are like sexy words that you hear a lot, but they are foundational to a securely attached relationship and for like success in the long run. When you're used to the passion and the intensity and the fireworks right away, but also the anxiety of not knowing if they're going to text or call and maybe they take a step forward and two steps backwards and you're always um, not unsure what page they're on and you um, like you know, but when it's good, it's so good. When it's bad, it's so bad. Like those highs and lows, that's not love. That's your activated attachment system screaming at you. So what I help my clients with, right, is understanding those dynamics and reframing, oh, well, what does safe, secure, reliable, consistent actually feel like, which for the anxious person in dating, it feels too easy. It doesn't feel like a challenge. It feels like there's no, maybe no chemistry. You might be like, well, I'm attracted to them. And I, you know, like their values and the life that they want to live. But like, I'm not feeling my intense passion that I'm used to, or I'm not feeling that spark. And so slowing down that dating process, because it usually happens when you start dating secure, passion and chemistry comes, it just comes a little bit later, once you've gotten out of your own way, and stop trying to create, you know, those high intensity up and downs. So um, yes, dating secure might surprise surprise people because it, again, it feels calm. It feels easy. You know what page your person is on. They show up consistently. Their actions match up with their words consistently over time, not just on like dates one and two, but you know, five, six months, years and beyond. Um, so I know I just sprung a lot of info at you. That was perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it was perfect. And I'm so happy you brought in about that. It feels, you know, how secure actually feels and it's not what people are used to. And in my experience, I've had clients both on the receiving end of an avoidant and people with avoidant attachments that are still looking for the one, like like avoidance can still be saying, oh, where's the like perfect person um, who has the spark? Like I've had so many clients be broken up with an avoidant because the avoidant says, well, there's just no spark. Yeah. Right. Like you don't fit the like perfect picture. And even, you know, you're, you're saying your ex before was like, well, you're just not the one, like, that's not even the language. Like we, Kate and I want everyone to throw out that language. Like, even if you choose to marry someone, we don't call them the one for you because it can change. So I don't know if you want to say anything about that. Well, yeah. So exactly that avoidance, one of their like subconscious traits is they nitpick at little flaws and they make them into deal breakers. So we're not just talking about like true big deal breakers, which we maybe have covered in in past podcasts, but you know, they're just like looking for any nitpicky thing that they don't like and they hyper-focus on that. And then the what's important to highlight is avoidance also like at their core, they're human beings. Like they want- They want, right, right. They want love, they want acceptance, but it doesn't feel familiar to them. They didn't grow up with it. And they sabotage everywhere because intimacy ultimately feels too close, too suffocating, too overwhelming. So they do want it. And then they look for little things to then create space, distance, sabotage the relationship. Um, And then they do this funny thing, which is exactly what happened with my ex. You know, time, space happens. They've gotten their fill of time, space. They feel lonely. And then they say, oh, maybe maybe that person was the one, or maybe those things that bothered me weren't such a big deal. And then they put their ex on this pedestal or they look at it with rose colored glasses only to like revisit it, whether, you know, they come back like my exit or like maybe it's like a zombie online who ghosted you. And then they come back months later, weeks later, 
only to realize after a couple more dates or interactions, like same oh, no, thing again, voice, like bye and go. Oh, hi, them. 17 breakups with the same person. Right? And how that, and how that three years round and how that and fucks around. with the anxious people so much because oh. they're like finally starting to move on. And then you get the phone call or they're like, oh, my ex is pedestaling me again. Then they start love bombing you and then to try and like win you back. And then that mm-hmm. anxious person's just, you know. A mess all yeah. over again. A mess all over again. And that's, again, one where you have to take some of your power back and control in this di- dating dynamic where someone needs to show up as presently with as much energy and enthusiasm as you are. You. Um, right. For me, you know, where the anxious avoidance stuff goes wrong is usually in those first few dates where the anxious is feeling such a strong connection, so attached, you know, the avoidant has shared, you know, some intimate details that make them feel connected. And then, especially after you sleep together, and then all of a sudden they're gone and they're like, but I was falling in love with this person and they were so amazing. Um, and I don't want to villainize the avoidance. No. It's, you developed your attachments out as a survival mechanism, as your way to make it through the world. They're great traits of avoidant. They're super independent and, you know, can like have adapted and they're resourceful. Um, like they're, so you just have to kind of say to yourself, thank you for your service attachments. I like once you gain awareness and start to understand it, you can see how it served you and how it's harmed you. And then you can like break up with your anxious or avoidant attachment and start shifting to secure behaviors and modeling those behaviors. So it's like, once you can identify the patterns, they become very clear. And I often tell my anxious that you start my anxious clients like you start losing your taste for the bad boys the cheaters like the highs and lows the ultimately avoidantly attached people you start losing your taste for that because once you start healing and empowering yourself and owning your worth and setting your standards that is no longer attractive it becomes like a huge turn off red flag and you're like I don't know how I ever tolerated that before um and I say like when I met my husband who is one of the most like securely attached people I've ever met. Um, It was just so powerful. And the biggest shift in me, what I realized, like I felt calm and I never felt like calm and truly trusting in like in an adult romantic relationship um, where my guards come down. And one story I love to tell people, it's like, you have to notice anytime you have like trauma or, you know, these things come up or they get triggered. So I've, I'd say I have healed my uh, anxious attachment style. I'm now secure, but there are certainly triggers to my anxious, um, my old anxious attachment. And I, when they come up, it's my job to be aware of what's happening and kind of figure out, is this situation in the present just reminding me of something in the past? Um, or am I like actually afraid or nervous or like my partner's doing something that I'm genuinely worried about? And the example I always give is, my husband, it was like late at night, we we're sitting on the couch, he was just like on his phone and something in me triggered back to a time I had like, you know, was suspecting my ex to be cheating and like having inappropriate, you know, conversations with someone on, on the phone. And I just in that moment, it like hit me and I looked at him, I'm like, what are you doing on your phone? And he was like, you want to see? He turns his phone around, he's doing fantasy basketball, right? <laughs> so one, but like an avoidant, in that case, if my husband was doing something where he was avoidant, he would get defensive. He would 
call me crazy or insecure. He would shut down. He would like lock his phone and walk to the other room. They would do some of these behaviors. But instead he turned it towards me and I laughed and I said, I was feeling so, this is me. I was feeling so triggered right now. It reminded me of this time in the past. And, and, you know, it made me really anxious. And he said, does your anxious attachment need a hug right now? And then he like came over to me and like gave me this big hug. And we like laughed about it. And like, that's just such a good example of even securely attached people, right? They can have their moments, but it's how do you then communicate? And does your partner turn towards you and make you feel understood or heard or validated? Or are they then doing something to trigger your attachment even more? And then it is a whole nother dynamic. Had he, again, like, turned his phone away or made a belittling comment or, you know, gotten mad at me, that would have been a much different dynamic. So, you know, it's something you always have to be aware of and kind of conscious of like, when are you feeling activated and being able to talk to your partner when you are activated? For the 10 millionth time, you can't get away with not being responsible for yourself. Like, like you started our episode saying like, oh, that's what I respect about your podcast. Like that is the, the thing we come back to over and over and over and over again. And I love, I mean, this is my experience too. I, I, I love that you acknowledged about the triggered moments because I do think thanks to personal development, we, we can th- make secure attachment like a perfection, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this place of I, when I have found the one, I'm never triggered and we communicate perfectly all the time. Oh, have a baby. Then let me know <laughs> how, you, how you communicate to each other um, or just be tired. Right. Or, or stressed, right? Like if we, you know, I, I bring the attachment into my work because it helps us stop villainizing ourselves or anyone else. Like it helps an anxious person stop saying, oh, there is something wrong with me rather than, oh, this is what's happening in my brain. And now I have skills that I can learn. Or then I have a million avoidant clients, avoidant women, like you said, want love, want to have a relationship. Right. And they, and they're healing too. Yeah, but there is no perfect arrival, but there can, there is anchoring of personal responsibility. And I do want to add, and I'd be curious about, you know, both of your experiences, unfortunately, thanks to personal development, and this is what's true for me as an anxiously attached. So I want to like bring this in once. So I'm in my dynamic with my avoidant ex, but I'm entering personal development and I'm, and I'm going to workshops and I'm reading books And then what starts happening is I tell myself, oh, I just need to heal. Oh, okay. I'll just keep healing. And then I'll make this relationship work. I have had so many people put the the anxious attachment. If they're not actually doing attachment work, because I want to plug that in. I was doing workshops, but I wasn't doing actual therapy and relationship coaching around my attachment style until much later. But I told myself, they, they take on more responsibility because the anxious person already has an identity if there's something wrong with me and I'm not enough. So then that translates to if I do enough work, yeah. then this person will love me. And that is what kept me in my relationship for three years. And I see like that is happening more and more thanks to Instagram therapy now, you know, and, and people thinking I can just do enough work. So I want to just plug you're not healing if you're not addressing your attachment and addressing your brain and the body-based work and becoming emotionally mature. But notice if you're telling yourself, oh, I just need, I if I do enough work, then I can make this relationship work, right? Because I spent three years making myself the problem, telling myself if I just did more work on myself, then Jamie would love me rather than the truth of saying, 
I'm enough and I can be a work in progress because that's the identity. We're all work in progress, but who I am is enough and I can be loved for that. And I am met with kindness and warmth in my marriage when I'm insecure or when I'm triggered or when I say the wrong thing, I don't spiral into shame and we can be with conflict and upset without anybody feeling like now they're not lovable or not deserving or, or not enough. Um, Cause I obviously believe in personal development, but I wanted you to come on and address this because I'm sick of people, mostly the anxiously attached woman saying, oh, if I just do enough work on myself, I can make it work with my toxic ex or with my narcissistic ex or with my avoidant, you know, on again, off again, situationship or whatever, you know, they're doing. So I know, Kate, if you're seeing that too with your clients, I guess most of your clients are just break, you know, they've broken up and, and now they're, they're just loving them. You know, they want to love themselves in their life, but um, I don't know if you see that. More avoidance I work with, I'd say, um, definitely anxious as well. And, and some women that have both, but what I really loved that you said is, um, that your taste, basically your taste will change what you're actually attracted to, because when you become secure inside of yourself and your home inside of yourself, and you, you've healed your nervous system and regulated yourself, what, what is attractive to you looks different, but your to your mind, like the fantasy addict part of the mind is gonna be like, wait, something's off. Like, why don't I feel fireworks? And Catherine, you've said that a million times with your story about Andrew is like, you didn't feel fireworks. You didn't feel like, oh my God, this is the guy. Da, da, da. And that was actually a, a good thing. So there is a brain re- rewiring that happens when you have done the healing, because now what you're drawn to is different, but also it's going to confuse your mind because the mind thinks it's supposed to look like this. And again, it's like, that's our modeling in shows and in movies is that it's that crazy, intense fireworks, passion, high and low that that's love. And so we're confused about what love is. And I also love that you said, that's not love. That's your attachment styles. And when you're anchored, then you get to experience what real love feels like. And it's calm. Yeah. And it's grounded. So I think to the anxiously attached woman, who's like, thinks she's doing the work and putting it all in again, the difference is it's like, Oh, if I do enough work. No, it's like when you, you know, you're really doing the work when you start kind of yeah. setting your standard and also boundaries, like the next time you're you know, boyfriend on and off again, breaks up with you. You're like, okay, well, this is it. And like, I want no part of this again. And then you stick to your word because you truly don't desire another part of that. Who they're showing up as is like no longer, you know, doing it for you. It's not attractive. That Uh, was Jamie came back that that was the, I mean, right before I went to my epic trip in Hawaii, he broke. I mean, this is just really the best. He broke up with the girl he was seeing to spend time with me. I mean, this is just like insane. And says, and says, I want to get back together. And I I can still feel what was happening in my body like that day of, of no, like I finally had been doing the work and coming home to myself and actually healing. And that it had been maybe five months um, since we had seen each other, which is also insane. Five months of him dating someone else who he breaks up with just to spend a weekend with me. Um, yeah. And then I met Andrew two months after that. When my ex came back and started saying like, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe we should have gotten engaged. I had been casually dating, but getting, you know, stronger and stronger with my now husband. And I remember when he was saying this, like I fantasized so long about that moment of him being like, I made a mistake. I'm coming back. And when he said it, it was very much like, yeah, my heart was like, oh, like I've loved him for so long. And I've wanted this for so long, but my head being like, and just, you know, I don't remember how long it had been like a couple months of me dating my husband like, wait a second, if we were to get back together, like, I would need this to be different. I would need you to do this differently. Like, 
I didn't actually looking back, like I'd already made peace with like, I didn't like a lot of the aspects of our relationship that I was willing to like accept because I loved him and had to make it work. And now being single and more grounded and rooted in what I wanted and deserved. Like when he said Mm -hmm. he was coming back, it wasn't just like, I did not want the old relationship that we had. It would have to be something new because I had experienced like what dating this other securely attached partner could be and how I could feel in that relationship. Like, you know, I'm just so thankful. Like things worked out the way they did. And I always say he had the courage to do what I didn't like, I didn't have the courage to end that relationship, but I knew deep down my inner voice was screaming like, this isn't right. Like you will end up divorced one day or like, this isn't, you know, what you're meant to be with. But I was so scared of losing that love that I I couldn't take action. My favorite part of your story too, is that Darren drove you to the airport. Yeah. So, you know, like talk about secure attachment, like he's dating her and she's saying, you know, I, I don't have closure with my ex dad. He just came back in my life. He fucking drove her to the airport. <laughs> like talk about a man who like yes. knows. And like that, that's the thing that I do want to say. And it is my experience of Darren. It's actually everyone's experience of Darren watching him love Sam is like, there's an inner knowing that happens for a man. Like when he's at home in himself and like connected and knows what he has to give and knows he's with the partner who's not trying to change him or manipulate him or guilt him into becoming someone he's not like he knew you you were the one like that's my experience with Darren like Darren knew this is the woman you know that I'm that I'm gonna marry and you guys are, were are like I'm watching truly best friends and like that's the thing that I always want to come back to because that is something that I did not look for before healing is is this person my actual friend friendship is what makes love last not passion not intensity not highs and lows and Sam that's my experience with you and Darren like best friend, like truly best friends. And, um, I, if you had asked me if Jamie was my friend, I would have said no, no, because I was more obsessed with getting my knee, like getting him to be someone that he's not. Like if you are dating someone telling yourself, like you just did, I need, I want him to be this different. And I'm just trying to get him to be more affirming, more complimentary, more available, more consistent. It's the, the relationship's over. That's happening in the beginning. And you've got your whole list of what needs to be different in order for you to date them. You don't actually love that person or even like that person. You know, um, so I want to give you the freedom to that. Like, stop, stop. No, like, please notice if right away you're thinking about all the things that you want to change about, about somebody. Totally. Um, I'm just laughing as you're saying this. I remember laying in bed with my ex being like, am I your best friend? And he literally said like, no. And he named like my best friend's David or whatever. (laughs) And I was like, but I'm not your best friend. Like, how could that be? Like, you know, I wanted him to be my best friend. And he honestly, he was like, I wanted him and he was the person I was closest to, but right. There were so many fundamental differences. Like he wasn't my best friend. And thank you for saying that about Darren. Cause yeah, very easily. He was like my best friend and just like, you know, reliable. And even if I have like drama with girlfriends or like difficulty, you know, in like a female friendship, he's always like, well, you have me, you know, like I'm here for you. And it's just so sweet. You know, like he really, I can say anything to him. We have so much fun hanging out. Like he, he is truly a best friend. It was just a night and day difference. And then when I wrote my book, Breaking Up and Bouncing Back, I actually called my ex and I I gave him an attachment assessment, which I wish you could do, you know, for the research of the book. And he scored 
so high on the avoidance scale. And I was like, oh my God, I know all of this and done this all again. Like I would have never dated this man, but it was so affirming and so bad for me. Like I'm not crazy. I just felt crazy in this relationship because he's, you know, the highest he could be on avoidance. But we had great sex, you know, it's like, that's what I was like, oh, but we have great chemistry. Um, So it's just wild, you know? Uh, So no, to the women listening, you probably can't go out and give everyone (laughs) an attachment assessment when you're dating them. But to think in terms, you know, of attachment, you know, can this person communicate their feelings openly and honestly? Does this person let me know what page they're on, whether they're really into me or maybe they're questioning some things or have concerns? Um, Do they feel, you know, consistent in in the intimacy where they're not like highs and lows? Um, Are they a confident person? Just like all these different traits and qualities, like looking at that and seeing you know, yes, yes or no. Um, and it's not your job to heal someone else's attachment. Um, and then I guess I know we're running out of time. I guess one other point that's good to know is your attachment can shift in a relationship. So let's say you start out as a secure. If you're dating someone really avoidant, you can start shifting to anxious and that's, you're not going to feel good in that relationship. And that's going to bring up a lot for you. So knowing that you can shift and that's probably not a healthy dynamic or relationship for you. Same way if your partner is really needy and insecure and wanting a lot of attention, you might feel yourself start to distance, feel yourself kind of taking um, a few steps backwards. And that also doesn't feel good and genuine to you if you're secure. So kind of keeping an eye on yourself, you know, where are you on the attachment spectrum? And um, is this relationship kind of bringing out more negative traits than positive in you? Yeah, I, I have a question for you with your story. Um, did you, did you, cause that was my experience. I was securely attached and then I would go towards anxious and avoidant. I'd say if I was with someone that was anxious, um, but the more I became anchored in who I am and did like inner healing and really knowing who I am, that's when I experienced just attracting securely attached people. Um, so my question for you is, did, what, what did you do on your journey between dating your the roller coaster guy to your husband, what did you do for your healing? Was it a long journey that you were already on or was it, or did you heal in the relationship because you were with someone securely attached? I, I would say it was a short journey for me. And I say part of that, like, right. I grew up with like, I was going to say, highlight the healthy parents. Like my parents. Yeah. 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 And like maybe a breed of humans. Yes. I grew up with healthy parents and like, you know, I would say like, could there have been like a little like external validation in me, like achieving and being a perfectionist? Yeah. Like some of that plays in, but I was lucky that I had really healthy parents and kind of secure modeling in that way. Were there little bits of, you know, anxiously attached breeding in there with like perfectionism and external validation? Like probably, but for the grand scheme of things, like really great parents, I think my journey was pretty short towards healing, but the most helpful thing was being in relationship with someone securely attached. So I had to do like my part. I would say like, no matter how much self growth and personal development work you do, that can only take you so far. I think part of it, we can't like feel in a vacuum. Like we need to be in interpersonal relationships to like truly come full circle and to have that positive experience of like 
this man loving me and being so dedicated and so secure with me that it allowed me to shift to secure um, while also, you know, being the person I wanted to be. But he was truly the first person I felt like really authentic and like seen by like I could let it all out. And like he showed up consistently and he was there and accepted me and not just accepted me, like loved and adored me. That was very healing. And so, you know, I think it's a combination of doing your own growth as well as hopefully dating secure and allowing yourself to be loved in that different way. And that's the healing power. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect question. So important. I remember, I don't know if this is from a course in miracles, but in my counselor's training program, they, they used to say our wounds were formed. I think it's from a course in miracles. Our wounds were formed in relationship thus have to be healed in relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, but, but it's not one or the other. I'm imagining there's some anxious women that would like to just have a secure avoidance. So they get to feel secure, but then you're giving your power away. You have to learn how to source your within, and you need to learn how to soothe your own system and to be able to, to communicate like you did with your husband and own when the, when the anxiety arose in that activation and be able to have the conversation. So beautiful. Any final words for the women out there who are um, on the journey back home to becoming securely attached? Oh my goodness. Um, Final words. We'll just ultimately just get educated, like start understanding these dynamics, the more you can see them and start applying them to your own life. Um, the more helpful. And then because once you're educated, you have to take accountability. And then once you take accountability, you raise your standards, you stop settling, you start having good boundaries and your whole dating life will shift. So yes, beautiful. Do you have any, any, any uh, places where women can find you, your Instagram, your website, and which I'm sure we'll link below, but, and anything you want to offer or tell them about before I'm at um, my Instagram is love successfully. I, you'll see a lot of, as Catherine likes to tell me, a lot of uh, videos of my kids and maybe me working out, but I promise I'll be posting some new con- uh, content in the future. Um, lovesuccessfully.com is my website. And I guess really my books. Your books. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, yeah. Breaking up and bouncing back, moving on to create the love life you deserve. So it's on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles, wherever you shop. Um, that one is really the neuroscience of healing from a breakup and, um, working through the breakup pain, healing, becoming a more intentional dater. And then my second book, Done With Dating, that one really is seven steps to finding your person. That one really stems starts from the place of, okay, you're actively ready to date, you're searching, talks, uh, both mentioned attachment styles. And that one really is like a, a confidence boost to help you set healthy boundaries and get really crystal clear on what it is you're looking for and how to go out and get that and also navigate those early stages of dating that can be really uh, triggering and uncomfortable. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I feel like I could talk for four hours, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll (laughs) love you again. (laughs) Thank you, love. That was amazing. Thanks for sharing all your wisdom. And so nice to meet you finally in real life, (laughs) almost real life, Zoom life. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And for all the women listening, share this episode with all the women you know who are out there anxiously attached or avoiding love at all costs. Um, And We will see you next week. Lots of love. Hi, it's Kate. Thanks so much for listening to the New Truth Podcast. 
for more of Catherine and I, come hang out with us in the New Truth Movement Facebook group. We are in there. That's where we're sharing all about our programs and our free workshops that we do. Um, You can come join us there and ask as many questions as you want about the podcast episodes, about dating, relationships, any struggles you're having out there. We would love to support you. So come hang out with us in the New Truth Movement Facebook group and we will see you soon.